The title of the message this morning is a very simple question. Do you love God's word? Do you love God's word? I'm gonna come back to that question at the end, and so uh, bear with me as we get into 1 Corinthians 15. We're gonna be looking at verse 45 to 49. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 to 49, and here's what it says. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Now he's talking about Jesus there. The first Adam, being the first man ever created, was given the name Adam, and he's using the words last Adam to refer to the person of Jesus Christ. He says, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit, verse 46. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. Then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. Now that word earthy in many translations says made from dust. If you recall back in Genesis chapter 2, it says that God formed Adam using the dust of the earth. So he's using that word earthy there. The second man is from heaven, talking about Jesus, verse 48. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we also bear the image of the heavenly. You say, oh my goodness, that's a lot. What all is it talking about? I think it's fascinating that Paul has chosen here while addressing the church of Corinth, and by the way, all kinds of things going on in Corinth. He had to address all kinds of things. But right here specifically, what he is doing is he is comparing the first Adam to the person of Jesus Christ. And so what I'd like to do is just look at three areas of how these guys are very similar and also three areas of how they're not similar at all. And so the first thing I want us to do is look at the first and last Adam, number one, their entrance into the world. Their entrance into the world. The first Adam was created by God and he was created without an earthly father. God made him. He was the first man, therefore he didn't have an earthly father. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. I love how all throughout Genesis 1, it says that God spoke things into existence. He spoke light into existence. He spoke the ocean into existence. He spoke the animals into existence. He spoke all of these things. But when it came to man, it says he formed him out of the dust of the ground. It shows that he's a relational God, that he loves us and he cares about us. But when he created Adam, Adam did not have an earthly father. The second thing I want us to see in regards to the first Adam's interest in, entrance into the world is not only was he created without a father, he was created without sin. He had no sin in his life. There was no sin yet on earth. Romans chapter five, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. What does he say right there? Sin entered the world through Adam. So prior to Adam making that mistake, there in the first few chapters of Genesis when he was tempted by the devil and sin, there was no sin. And so he was made without an earthly father and he was made without sin. That's the first Adam. Let's look at the second Adam or the person of Jesus Christ's entrance into the world. Well, number one, he was put here on earth without an earthly father. 
Matthew chapter one, verse 23, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Mary was not married. She hadn't been with a man. Jesus did not have an earthly father, so we see they're paralleled right there that both of them were put here on earth without an earthly father. The second thing in regards to the last Adam, the person of Jesus Christ, is not only was he put here on earth without an earthly father, he was also put on earth here without sin. He had no sin, he had no lineage of sin because he did not have an earthly father. It wasn't being passed down through the bloodline through his father, and so he was put here on earth without sin, and what we know is the whole time he was on earth, he never sinned. As a matter of fact, I love what it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse five. It says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Notice it doesn't say there was no sin as that's past tense because that could lead us to believe that Jesus could possibly have sinned since this was written. No, it says there is no sin in him because he is perfect and holy and righteous in every way. He went to the cross perfect. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead and he lives victoriously and he's seated at the right hand of the Father and he has never sinned and he will never sin. He's not capable of sin, so he was put here on earth without an earthly father, and he was put here on earth without sin. Well, that is the entrance into the world by these two men. Next, I want us to look at an encounter that each one of them had in the world, an encounter that each one of them had in the world. So let's look at the first Adam first. Adam was tempted by the devil. Genesis chapter three, verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. What's happening here? The devil is tempting Adam and Eve right there in the garden. He's tempting them with the only thing that God told them not to do. You see, it says that he's crafty. That's what he does in our lives. He only tempts you with what's attractive to you. He doesn't just tempt you with everything. He tempts you with the shiny things that, gra- that get, get your attention. And that's exactly what he's doing with them right here. He's crafty. He brings before them this temptation. They were both tempted by the devil. But in this encounter here with the devil, not only were they tempted, but Adam fell to that temptation, number two. He fell to that temptation, Genesis chapter three, verse six says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Now I know what some people are automatically thinking. Adam wasn't the first one that sinned, it was Eve. Eve's the one that ate. Why does it say that sin entered the world through Adam? Well, can I just make a statement? It says right here, Adam was with her. If you, sir, were at a store this coming week and a gunman came in and pointed a gun at your wife, I hope to goodness you would get in front of her to protect her. That's your job. And yet he sits beside and allows the devil to talk to her and then allows her to go through with it and takes and eats of it himself. Sin entered the world through Adam. He was tempted and he fell to that temptation. Well, likewise, the last Adam or the person of Jesus Christ, was also tempted by the devil. Matthew chapter four 
tells us of this. It's right when Jesus is getting ready to launch into his ministry. And the first 11 verses of chapter four show us three times the devil tempted Jesus and three times Jesus responded to him with the word of God. And so what does it say right here in Matthew chapter four, verse one? Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I for years thought that he was led into the wilderness to pray and fast. That's not what the verse says. It says that the spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. Jesus was there 40 days and 40 nights. It tells us he didn't eat because later in verse 11, the angels come and minister to him and we see that the devil tempted him with physical food. He says, just turn those stones into bread and eat. I know you're hungry. And so the devil is tempting Jesus, but aren't you thankful this is where they really begin to become opposite? Where the first Adam fell to that temptation, the second Adam, the person of Jesus Christ, overcame temptation. He did not fall to temptation. Matthew chapter four, verse 10 through 11 says, then Jesus said to him, this is the third time the devil has tempted him, and this is the third time Jesus has responded to him with scripture. It says, then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. What does Jesus do? Jesus just simply takes the word of God. He says these words, go, Satan, and then he quotes the scripture, and what happens immediately following? The devil leaves. Now, I know a lot of people would say, well, you know, he was Jesus. He didn't go through all the temptations and all that stuff that we've gone through and dealt with all that stuff. Hebrews 4.15 says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. The Bible says he was tempted in every way, just like you and I have been and are being tempted and will be tempted, and yet he never sinned. Aren't you thankful? for a sinless savior that did not fall to temptation, but he overcame it. Aren't you thankful there's a big difference between the first Adam and the last Adam? Well, we talked about their entrance into the world. We talked about an encounter in the world, and now I want us to look at their effect on the world, their effect on the world. Let's look at this first guy, Adam. I want us to see his bride and marriage. Now, God is the one that gave Adam his bride, and God is the one that institutes marriage. Adam did not do that, but we see that it began right there with God giving it to Adam, and so that's passed on. His legacy, part of his legacy is getting a bride in Eve and being the first marriage that has ever been ordained, and it was ordained by God right there in that very first marriage. As a matter of fact, it says in Genesis 2.24, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. What does he say here? That they should become one. In every aspect of the word, this does not just mean physical because it says flesh. It means physical, it means spiritual, it means emotional, it means financial, it means decisional. It means every way they are, two of them are to become one. They're to leave their parents, and they are to cleave to one another, and we see that Adam is given his bride named Eve. It's fascinating to me that it says, the Lord looked at Adam and said, he needs a helper. Can I get an amen? The boy was given 
the responsibility of naming all the animals. Have you ever gone to the zoo and seen some of those names? They're terrible. He needed help, okay? He couldn't do it on his own. I mean, this guy, thank goodness he wasn't wearing clothes at that time. He wouldn't have been able to get dressed by himself. He needed help. And the Lord provided exactly what he needed. We're gonna come back to that. I want you to hold that idea of his bride because we're gonna come back to it in just a couple moments. The second effect of Adam on the world is that sin entered the world through him by way of a tree. Sin entered the world through him by way of a tree. Remember the devil said, don't eat, remember God told him, don't eat of that tree, and the devil said, oh, don't listen to him, you can eat of that tree, and so they ate of that tree, they ate fruit from that tree, and so sin entered the world. Now, what does sin lead to? It leads to death. I'm not talking about physical death, I'm talking about spiritual death. Spiritual death is being separated from God forever and ever. And sin leads to that. And so through Adam, sin was introduced into the world, Romans 5, 19. For as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of one, the many will be made righteous. In other words, sin has entered the world through the first Adam, and we see that righteousness has entered through the world through the second Adam, the person of Jesus Christ, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But I think it's interesting, and I want to make sure that I, I make this note here, that death, that sin that leads to death, death entered the world through a living tree, a tree that was alive. I want you to hold that thought for a moment. And I want us to move on to the last Adam, the person of Jesus Christ. And I want you to look at, by the way, thousands and thousands of different effects from Jesus on the world. I just want to look at two of them briefly here. Sin was defeated through him by way of a tree. I want you to listen. Death entered through the first Adam, by way of a living tree. But life entered through the second Adam by way of a dead tree. You see, God can bring life out of anything. The world is dying. And it's gonna pass away. But God will last forever. And he gives life on that cross, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While you were in the middle of your addiction, while you were in the middle of struggling with whatever it is you struggle, with greed or lust or covetousness or whatever the case may be, he loved you in spite of that. You know how I know? Because when he was on the cross, the Bible says that he looked down at the people that had nailed him there and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So in the middle of these men nailing him to the cross, he was forgiving them. And the Bible says that he forgives you. He loves you. He created you. He designs you. He made you. He loves you. I mean, think about it. You've got the personality he wants you to have. You've got the color of hair he wants you to have, the color of eyes he wants you to have, the color of skin he wants you to have. He loves you. And he died on the cross for you. 
and he created a way to spend an eternity with him forever and ever. So as sin entered the world through the first Adam, sin has an exit out of the world through the second Adam in the person of Jesus Christ. The second thing I want you to see on Jesus' effect on the world is his bride, the church. All throughout the New Testament, Paul addresses the church as the bride of Christ. We see it in Revelation, the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. Now I have to insert this right here. As of Thursday, I was not preaching this message. I was gonna be preaching out of the Old Testament where the Philistines had stolen the Ark of the Covenant from the Israelites and everything that transpired out of that. And I was excited about that message. And Thursday evening, my kids said, what are you preaching on Sunday? And so I said, I think this is what I'm gonna preach on unless the Lord changes my mind. I had shared this with my discipleship group, what I'm about to share with you, and I had shared it with my son's discipleship group, and my son said, no, Daddy, you need to preach about the first and last Adam. And I said, you know what? I had thought about that too, so maybe we'll just go that. As I prayed, the Lord said, do it. I was in my kitchen about four months ago, and the verse that I'm getting ready to share with you, I was reading. And I don't know if you know this, but the Bible says it is alive and well. And there are times you're reading something that you've read a hundred times or 200 times and you've heard it preached on and you've heard it taught on. And I'm sure I have heard what I'm about to tell you, but it hit me smack dab between the eyes. And I just fell deeply more in love with God's word. Let me show you what happened. My wife and kids were gone. I'm in my kitchen reading in John 19, verse 34. It says, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. Jesus is on the cross. Jesus has died. The guards have broken the legs of the other two guys because they hadn't died yet. They want to make sure they died, the two guys that were nailed on either side of him to other crosses. And Jesus looked like he had already died just to make sure that Roman guard took a spear and pierced him in the side. I heard one person say, well, why didn't they just break his legs too. Well, they couldn't have. It was prophesied that no bone would ever be broken. So they had to do something different because prophecy will always be fulfilled. And so he's on the cross. He has died. The Roman guard takes the, the, the spear and he stabs him in the side and out of his side runs blood and water. How many times have you read this? How many times have I seen this? How many times have I heard this spoken of? I flip over to Matthew chapter 26, verse 28. It's Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Why did he bleed and die on the cross? Because he was the ultimate sacrifice for you and I, that we would not have to sacrifice animals anymore because he has gone before us as the high priest. He has died a horrific death. He has bled his blood to pay for your and I's sin, and he has paid it all. That's why he went to the cross. And he says right here that his blood gives the forgiveness of sin. In Ephesians chapter one, verse seven, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I'm reading this and God begins to move in my heart and say, Derek, don't you see the comparison here? Go back to Genesis. God looks at Adam and says, Adam needs a helper. 
And so what does he do? He puts Adam to sleep. He opens up his side. He removes something from Adam, covers it back up, and he creates out of Adam's side his bride, Eve. And now we come to the last Adam who has gone to the cross. God has put him to sleep. He has opened up his side and he has created his bride, the church. Now I don't know his name and I need to get to know it, but there's a guy that sings in the choir right there. And I know you've seen him because he gets so excited sometimes, I'm afraid he's gonna fall right out of that thing, okay? <laughs> That's what happened to me in the kitchen that day. I started screaming, and I started crying, and I danced a little bit. And I said, Lord, your word has never been so clear to me. We talk about it being the old covenant and not applicable to us today. Let's just get in the New Testament, all that stuff. Every single part of this from Genesis to Revelation is pointing to the person of Jesus Christ and your and I's need for him in our lives. And I submit to you that this book has every answer for every question that you have ever asked, that the world has ever asked and is ever going to ask. And by the way, the culture we live in today, it's getting weirder. We're beginning to see things we didn't think we would ever see. We're beginning to see things we couldn't even dream up if we tried to. And people say, what do we do? It's all right here. It's all right here. You see, the point of me wanting to share all of this between the first and the second Adam is just showing you the parallel comparison and the fact that this first Adam, it's not about him. It's pointing us to the last Adam, the person of Jesus Christ, and that's what all the scripture is doing. And it was on that day in my kitchen that I fell more in love with this book than I have ever been in my life. And I wanna ask you the question, do you love God's word? Lifeway Research, Barna Research, American Bible Institute have all published that only 11% of people that were in the survey say they read their Bible on a daily basis. 11%. Also, only 11% have ever read through the entire Bible. I'm not talking about in a year, I'm talking about in their lifetime. Only 9% have read through it more than once. If you don't fall in that 11%, if you're in the 89% that's not, can you really look at yourself and say, I love God's word? That would be like a new movie coming out that you've really been wanting to see. And you go to the Malco Theater and you pay the $47 to get in there and the 100 bucks to eat the food and all that stuff. And you're sitting in there and you've been in there 30 minutes and all of a sudden you think, I've had enough. You get up, you walk out. Next week you're at work. Somebody says, have you seen such and such? You say, oh, it's my favorite. I love that movie. The characters, the plots, the twists. It's awesome. And they say, can you believe when so-and-so died at the end of the movies? I, really, they died? I left right in the middle of it. Well, how, how, how can you even say you love the movie? 
What if the person you love turned out to be the villain? What really happened? You don't know what happened. You can't say you love that movie. You see, we toss the word love around a lot. We love a lot of things. But if you really love your spouse, I would imagine you probably live in the same house with them. I would imagine every once in a while you hold their hand and hopefully you give them a little kiss. I would imagine you have conversation with them. I'd imagine you probably text them here and there throughout the day. They make a phone call or a FaceTime periodically. And when they're away, you can't wait to be back with them. I would imagine if you really love your spouse, you want to be with them. So the question is, if you say, I love God's word, are you really in there? Because I'm telling you, it's connected from the beginning to the end. And I have a burning, passionate desire for the rest of my life to get inside this book on a daily basis and ask the Lord to show me things like what he showed me four months ago in my kitchen. You see, the Bible's got everything we need. Psalm 119 verse nine says, how can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word? I hear parents all the time say, I just hope my children stay close to the Lord. Well, what are you doing in here? Are you spending time in here? Are you taking your children and spending time in here? Are you encouraging them to read the word? How can they keep their way pure? How can they stay close to the Lord? You better get them in there. If not, quit praying about it. Start doing something about it. He says, how can they do it? Get in here. Psalm 119, verse 11, your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. I just don't know what my problem, I just sin all the time, I fall to temptation, I keep doing all this stuff, and it's like I do the same thing over and over. Well, you know what? If you get in here, the Bible says this is like a light, and it'll shine into your life, and it'll show you those things, that, those issues that you have, and then as you get closer to the Lord, and your heart begins to beat a little closer to his, when the old devil comes knocking, you say, not today, Satan. Get out of here, because I'm not going to be a part of that. Psalm 119, verse 30, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I live in a house with four kids and a wife. Now, my wife doesn't play with Legos, but our four kids do. And they play with them all the time, and those things are everywhere. And we got some of that shaggy or carpet, and they get all down in there. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, those things hurt, Okay? I do not walk through my house with the lights on ever, ever. I either turn the flashlight on my phone on or I flip the, the light on. I want as much light as I can see. I wanna know where I'm going. I wanna watch every footstep. I wanna make sure I'm not gonna step on one of those Legos. You wanna know how to walk through this dark culture? You wanna know when to turn to the left or to the right? You wanna know if we should do this or not do this or watch that or not watch that or befriend them or not befriend them or share the gospel or not share the gospel? Get in here because it'll be a lamp unto your feet, and a light unto your path. Proverbs 40, verses 20 through 21. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Incline your ears. Listen. Drew just talked about it. Listen. Listen. We've heard pastors say this. He hears people say, you know, I just hadn't heard God speak in a while. Well, obviously, you hadn't read your Bible. Because the Bible says this is God's word. You want to hear him speak? Open it up and read it. Everything we need is right here. Proverbs verse 30, or chapter 30, verse 5. Every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. 
We look for protection in a lot of things. 401ks, safer cars, bunkers underneath our house, better windows, all this stuff. You really want protection? Get underneath the shield of the Lord. Get in the word of God. Isaiah 40 verse eight, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. The Bible says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How do we know that everything in there is applicable to us today? Because he's not changed. He's the same God. His word's the same word. And he loves his people just as much as he did back then. Matthew chapter four, verse four, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is the first response he gives to the devil during the devil's first temptation in Matthew chapter four. Devil says, turn those stones into bread and eat them. What does Jesus say? Nope, Bible says I'm not supposed to do that, so I'm not gonna do that. He quotes scripture to him. You've got to study this thing. You've gotta memorize it. You've gotta put it inside of you so that when these situations come up, God can draw those scriptures out of you that he has placed inside of you. Noah and I talked about this just a couple of weeks ago. It is amazing how maybe not every day, but I'm telling you it's close to it. That I'll get halfway through the day or close to the end of the day and someone will say something and I'll say, it's amazing you say that. I read that about that this morning in the Bible. Here's what the Bible says. It's amazing. But if you don't put it inside of you, you can't draw it out of you. You gotta put it inside of you. John 15, seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If my words abide in you, you gotta put them in there first. You've gotta get in this thing. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. What does it say? All scripture. Well, Derek, when I get to Leviticus, it's tough. All scripture. When I get to Numbers, it gets daunting. All scripture. Well, I've skimmed the pages, all scripture. You say, what do you pull out of that? I'm not really for sure. What I do know is that God says all scripture is for us. If he didn't want us to have it, he wouldn't have put it in there. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, when you ask people, are you reading God's word? They always have an excuse about time. I ran out of time. No, you didn't. You made the conscious decision to place that time with something else, which means that thing is an idol in your life. You made a conscious decision. See, I'm convinced that the reason people don't wanna read this is not because a lack of time, it's because they don't want to read what it's gonna say about them. And even as Christians, there are times, and you know those times when you're walking through a valley, you're struggling a little bit. Sometimes you don't wanna open up, sometimes I don't wanna open up, I'm a little afraid of what God may say. But that's when his grace is sufficient and he draws us in. And he says, I still love you and I forgive you. Let me help you move past that. You see, we don't have to be afraid of the love of God.
you should be more afraid of walking the opposite direction of the wrath of God. All throughout scripture, it talks about the word of God. All throughout scripture, it calls us to read and study this thing. So in closing, I would like to address two groups of people. Those of you that have never given your life to Jesus, you're not a Christian. You're not a part of the bride of Christ. You've never said, Jesus, I repent of my sins. I believe that you died and rose from the dead to save me and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. You've never done that. About 7.30 last night, I sat down in my recliner in my bedroom to go over my notes before I sent them to Noah so that he could put them up here on this screen. Well, aren't you thankful for Noah? Noah does an incredible job. I, I'd sent them to him this morning and boom, they're up on the screen, amazing. Thank you, Noah. But I, I'm sitting there in my recliner and I get knock on the bedroom door. Now this was my reaction, oh sweet goodness. <laughs> Who needs what? What Band-Aid needs to be on what part of whose body? That's, that's what's going through my head, okay? Because it's amazing how nothing ever bleeds until eight o'clock at night. <laughs> nothing hurts, there's no aches, there's no pains. All of a sudden, eight o'clock, everything's falling apart. My little girl, Chloe, six years old, busts open the door and she says, I wanna get saved right now. She has come in our bedroom and told us she's wanted to get saved 50 times. She prays about it every night and she has for probably two years. She'll come in and we'll talk about the gospel and we'll ask her if she understands and then she'll say, I, I think I do. We'll talk about it more later. Last night was different. And as we walked through it, and she laid on my chest. She prayed a prayer. She gave her life to Jesus. I thought to myself, how many people occasionally will pick this up, they know it's good, they know it's right, they know they need it, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. If you're sitting in this room or you're watching with us online and you have never given your life to Jesus, what are you waiting for? The world to turn around, gas prices to drop? I don't think so. It is time to get it right. You're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised this afternoon. You are not promised your next breath. And if you think you'll do it someday in the future, maybe you will, but I don't know if you're gonna get that opportunity. The Bible says you can give your life to Jesus right now. You repent of your sins. You believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead to save you and you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And in just a few minutes, our pastors are gonna be down front and up in the balcony and if you wanna give your life to Jesus, just like my little girl knocked on that door and said, I wanna give my life to Jesus right now, I want you to do that. If you're watching with us online and you wanna give your life to Jesus, if you'll text the word Jesus to the number 901-901, someone from our team will get back with you quickly and have a discussion on how you can do that as well. For the rest of you in the room that have a relationship with Jesus. You've been saved. You're a Christian. You're a part of the bride of Christ. I want to ask you the question again. Do you love God's word? Now, before you respond, yes, I want to ask you this. Have you read this thing cover to cover? Are you reading it on a daily basis? Because if you aren't, you better be careful saying you really love God's word. 
Because if that's the kind of love you give your spouse and that's the kind of love you give your children, there's probably some struggles there. God wants all of you. When Jesus went to the cross, he died all the way. He gave everything he had. Let's not live halfway for him. Let's give him everything we've got. I want to encourage you to not just read God's word. I want to encourage you to memorize it. I want to encourage you to meditate on it, and I want to encourage you to study it. I was studying it in the kitchen that day. You say, you know what, Derek? I'm not for sure I know how to study the Bible. Well, in the month of June, four Wednesday nights in June, we're actually going to have an equip class on Wednesday nights here. A few of our pastors are gonna teach through the book of Colossians and they're gonna give you resources and they're gonna teach you how you can learn how to study God's word. Not just pick it up and read it, but you can actually learn how to study God's word. I wanna encourage you, if no one's ever taught you how to get in God's word and really dig in deep and study it and get the meat of it, then I wanna encourage you to be a part of this class. You can go online and register. If you don't register, show up anyways, we'll pull up a chair. We would love to have you there. You see, the problem with so many people that go to church is their theology is built upon another man or woman's theology. Because the only thing they know about the Bible is what they're being told. And when asked, why do you believe that? Well, Brother Steve does. Well, Miss Donna said it. Those, that's great. But what does God say? What does God's word say? Get into it. Get into it.